Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. This episode begins a series called The Path to Happiness. Where can we find true happiness? What is it that makes you happy? And is there such thing as lasting happiness? For some, it's the beginning of football season, or at least the food that accompanies the football season. For others, it's family and friends or big life events. For some people, it's just sitting quietly at a place, uh, reading a good book. Would it be safe to assume that everyone pursues happiness? Something I've been thinking about or wondering the last few weeks is, does God want us to be happy? Some say, no, he only cares about our holiness, not our happiness. But I think God does want people to be happy, but that happiness needs to be defined. And God gets to define it. So the real question is, what is that happiness and are we on the path to true happiness? In Matthew chapter 5, we see the beginning of a sermon by Jesus, a famous one. You may know it as the Sermon on the Mount. We see Jesus speaking to his disciples, but beyond them there is a great crowd gathering to listen in on the message, it seems. What we have recorded for us at the start of the message, we, we see Jesus describing those who have found true happiness, and it flows like a cadence. First, the statement of happiness then a description of who is happy, then the reason why that person is happy. Let me read for you in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, the beginning of this message. Now when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they were persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we're honest, this doesn't sound like the kind of things when someone says they are blessed or happy. Considering being poor, hungry, mourning, meekness and mercy what could Jesus mean in this translation I read for you today the NIV the word blessed or blessed is used but in other English translation the word that is used is happy the Greek word here is uh, makarios this word is as ancient as the writer Homer and was used of gods and men related to outward prosperity This word is used in the Bible describing a response to uh, favorable circumstances, and it can mean fortunate. Of course, most of us, when we speak of happiness, we mean that we're pleased with our current happenstance. But Jesus takes the word and puts it in an unusual condition, a, a higher plane with a higher plan. Jesus is describing someone who has a relationship with God and is speaking of a happiness that is almost indescribable because it is so foreign to our experiences. An inner joy, a soul satisfaction, 
a deep-rooted contentment as a result of the state of someone's experiencing God's grace in a special way, a happiness that transcends this life and has something deeper, greater, and eternal in mind. Now, none of these statements found in what have become known as the Beatitudes are commands. They are descriptions of kingdom living. Jesus is describing a citizen of God's kingdom, not how one gains entrance into the kingdom. This is not how someone becomes a Christ follower or becomes a Christian. Uh, That happens. uh, You become a Christian or a Christ follower by God's grace when adopted and redeemed as as our personal faith is set upon the person and work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, repenting of our own sin and receiving the forgiveness that's already awaiting us. And then as a believer, of course, as a follower of Jesus, by faith, living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Each descriptor of true happiness builds upon the previous one in this message. So in today's episode, look at Jesus' first descriptor of happiness. Matthew chapter 5, I'll read verse 3. Blessed, or happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean by being poor in spirit? Jesus is describing a person who is completely dependent. Now, maybe you've been in a situation before where you're dependent upon other people. Uh, If you have children, you recognize that, of course, when babies are born, they're dependent on their parents. Uh, Maybe you are taking care of aging parents and they're dependent upon you. A few years ago, my family was reminded of dependence. After years of holding strong, I folded and didn't block my wife and children from getting a puppy. But the problem with a new puppy, as I anticipated, is that they are completely dependent. Food, walks, cleanup, lots of attention. Puppies need you for everything. Well, at least they need my wife and my kids because I ain't going to do nothing with it. But guess who else is dependent? People. Sometimes we forget this reality or try to fight it. We, We try to be independent. But we weren't created that way. And what Jesus is saying is happy are those who are completely dependent on him. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal significance or find true happiness. The phrase Jesus uses is, poor in spirit. The word for poor here is one that means absolute poverty, being a beggar, unable to meet their own need. What is the worst form of poverty you've ever seen? I remember in high school going on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. I went on a short missions trip one time as a youth minister taking a few students and a couple adults with me to Jamaica, the central part of Jamaica. Uh, Been to South Africa and seen places with horrific poverty. The poverty Jesus is speaking of, though, is, of course, not material, but poverty of spirit. Being poor in spirit is to understand and believe that our soul situation is so bad, we are absolutely powerless to do anything about it. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, we're reminded that we are basically dead spiritually, dead in our sin, spiritually not alive. And we are absolutely powerless to do anything about it. We are helpless. Does that sound anything like happiness, if we're being honest? To be poor in spirit is to depend on God and His righteousness. The Bible tells us that no one is righteous in and of themselves. All have turned away, all have done wrong against God. We've all looked at something or someone else other than God for approval. 
So being poor in spirit is seeing oneself as spiritually impoverished and in need of God's mercy, in need of God's grace, in need of Him. When someone thinks they are a pretty good person, when they measure their soul compared to other people's behavior, they may come to realize or believe they don't need God's mercy, they don't need Jesus. That's the opposite of being poor in spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit really is self-sufficiency. It would be like being really, really sick and knowing it and then being offered the remedy, off being offered the medicine, the solution, and saying, no, I don't need that. Or being crazy in debt and someone offering a plan, steps, or a way, or a total removal of the debt and rejecting that plan. In and through Jesus is given to us a gift we all need, this otherworldly happiness. The path to this begins in recognizing that we need Jesus daily. This is why many have come to realize that Christianity is based on a relationship with Jesus, not rules or a religious system to get to God, but an honest, authentic, daily relationship with Jesus. Interestingly enough, people in Christ's day perceive the poor to be cursed or not blessed. The religious and pious especially believed that to be poor was to be outside of God's favor or grace. Yet, being poor in spirit is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of self-praise. It is not false humility. It is honesty with self, knowing ourselves in light of knowing God. We are all, we are all completely needy. We have needs. None of us have the power or the resources to change our soul situation, and we are spiritually dead, stuck until we realize it, until God reaches down and touches our soul and brings us life. This is why Jesus was sent, why he was born, why he willingly provided our cure on the cross, died, and rose again. I'm reminded of scripture just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse, just a few verses, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is saying here that he helps those who can't help themselves. And those who excuse me, can't help themselves and, and then know it and recognize they are powerless to change their own situation. That is how every relationship with Jesus begins. When we acknowledge that we are spiritually dead, we have a sin disease and we, we are powerless to fix it. Maybe uh, you've come to realize that. And, and I just welcome you even today just to tell God this again. He already knows, of course. He, he's ready and gentle enough to have that conversation with you. But the problem in our cultural context is that many of us at one point in our past acknowledged our need for Jesus, but then over time, we forgot how helpless we are, and we start to gain confidence in our own self, or our do-goodedness, or our ability to not do the naughty things. And then we forget just how desperately in need of Jesus we actually are, and in time we think we deserve the kingdom of God in heaven because we are nice people. But the reality is actually the very opposite. Being poor in spirit is daily, moment to moment, you could say all day, every day, I need you, Jesus. 
So it's a problem when someone teaches that this whole sermon, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, is about how to do good enough or striving to earn favor enough to be called righteous. Jesus says in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses the most religious people, the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The message of Christ shows us how we need him, that we need him, and that we can't, we can't do any of this without him. Here's some more proof. Jesus unveils some practical insights throughout the rest of the sermon. Things like showing the impossible standard of righteousness, defining murder as anger and hatred in your heart toward another person. He teaches that adultery is looking at others lustfully. His insights about forgiveness, marriage, commitment, and divorce would have been shocking to hear. He continues by teaching endurance of others and uh, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, storing up treasure in heaven, anti-worry, anti-judgmental and spirit passages, and a bit about a life that bears good fruit. And none of us can measure up to the standard. And then there's this most shocking part in chapter 7, verse 21. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So if you were to fast forward and read for yourself chapters 5, 6, and 7, what hope do we have for today? Who is good enough here to pass this test? Who passes the test of God's righteousness without his mercy and grace? The whole sermon is pointing the listener to the fact that we can't accomplish righteousness, God's perfect standard, or anything of eternal value without the grace of God in our lives. We need Jesus. We need his work on our behalf. We need his righteousness put on us. What should we do when we realize that we've been trying to be self-reliant and not be dependent on Jesus? Start by acknowledging that to him. See him for who he truly is. And when we get an accurate, accurate picture of, of God, we, we see how desperate we are in need for him. Let's reconsider the promise that was made to those who are poor in spirit. Back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. The kingdom belongs to those who recognize the king. Their need of the king and where the king rules. See, our problems come in when we try to be the king. We aren't big enough, capable enough, so it's worthwhile to ask yourself, am I trying to be my king? Is, is Jesus my king? This is where the happiness is found, under the authority and protection of the king. Again, welcoming God's authority and rule in your life and seeking to live under it is not simply a one-time event, but a daily dependence and surrender. And the promise of the kingdom is a present reality in heart and life. When Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that's both a present tense and future reality. That's kingdom life right now. So it would be fair to ask ourselves, so how is being poor in spirit a true happiness for us? The answer is because even though we bring such imperfection, even though we bring sin and carry so much guilt and shame, God loves us. He's especially fond of us and you. In fact, I believe he's especially fond of you. And he loved you enough to send his son Jesus to have a relationship with him. Sometimes we think that if people really knew the real us, that they wouldn't love us. And that might be true. 
for some of the people in your life. It might be true, but not with God. Because he does know you. He knows it all. Our awful thoughts, the things you've done in secret and told no one, he knows all that and still loves you. Being poor in spirit is a recognition that we cannot save ourselves. and it's a, it's a dependence on God's righteousness and willingness to be and do for us what we cannot do ourselves. And God is willing and able. I wonder if it's safe to assume that everyone pursues happiness. But the question really is, will they find it? In Jesus is the path of happiness. And it's the exact opposite our world and heart suggest. Happy are the poor in spirit.